honor of the word of God as I read James 2, 8 through 13. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The word of God for the people of God. Read New City Catechism question number 12 with me. What does God require in the, in the ninth, ninth and tenth commandments? Ninth, that we do, we do not, not lie or deceive, but, but speak the truth in love. Tenth, that, that we are content, not envying anyone or resenting what God has given them or us. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Keely. I'm glad each one of you are here. It's good to see each of you here today. We're going through the commandments and not just looking at what they are, but what they require. So what does God require in the ninth and tenth commandments? We read a text from James, and we will look at that some but we're also going to look at the ninth and 10th commandments. You might know them as not to bear false testimony, not to, bear, to give false witness, uh, considering that in not lying and not coveting is the 10th one, looking at those two. And you might think, you might kind of shut things down. Oh, yeah, I know that. You know, don't lie, don't covet. I got it. I'm good. But what we want to do is look a little bit deeper and see what we can uh, discover about God's commandments, like we have all of them, and then look to Christ our Savior, look at the text in James a little bit in the closing. The first thing I want to say about the commandments is that they aren't just rules. They reflect the holy nature of God, his character. So when he's giving us these commands, they're not just, here's this rule, but he's really revealing who he is, that he's a holy God, and a holy God looks like this and treats his creation like this, and this is how we should treat one another. So I want us to be uh, contemplate that about God's holy character. Don't just look at it as I'm following rules, but I'm actually trying to become who God has revealed himself in his word to be. Another real important thing that's helped me a lot, uh, it's a principle, but it, it was a quote that Luther made in, in digging into the commandments a little deeper. It says, where the Ten Commandments have a negative prohibition, a positive implication is assumed. I might have just went, Shh, whatever. But what you'll see 
is that this is true. Here's, here's an example of it. In our text, James said he listed some commandments, but he talked about a royal law to love our neighbor. That's not a prohibition. That's an implication of the prohibitions of how we are to treat our neighbor. We're not to lie about our neighbor. We're not supposed to lie about anybody. We are not supposed to gossip about people. We are not supposed to bear any kind of false testimony about people. We're not even to misrepresent them in any way, tell half-truths, twist the truth, any of these things it gets into. But it's not just saying you shall not lie and you shall not covet your neighbor's things, envying what they have, resentful of what you do have, all these things that we'll kind of delve into. But when Jesus summed up these uh, as the, what are the greatest, what is the greatest commandment, he didn't put it in the negative prohibition uh, side of the commandments. He put it in the implication. He explained what all the Ten Commandments mean, and he summed them up in positive implications, right? It wasn't you shall not, but it was you shall what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the positive implication of the commandments. So, what Luther said is biblical. It is true that when the commandment says you shall not do something, your mind works and says, well, what shall I do then? And that's what uh, the catechism does. When it says... Do not bear false testimony. Uh, Don't lie. It breaks that down. Do not lie or deceive. But what? The positive implication. Speak the truth in love. See, it's not just don't lie, but actually do speak the truth in love. And the same thing with coveting. Not just coveting, but tenth, that we are content. It doesn't even say you know, right off the bat, you shall not covet, but it's that you shall be content. We will look at that coveting and contentment don't go together. They're juxtaposed to each other. So this is really digging at what does it mean not to covet? It means that we are content, not envying anyone or resenting what God has given them or us. Not complaining about what we have and not envying and wishing we had what other people have. Pretty, pretty deep already, huh? It's like, wow, I, I, wait a minute, let's back up. But we'll see that the commands and, uh, demand much more out of us just than what we might look at on the surface. And we go, yeah, I got that, I'm good with that. Uh, you know, go to court, I tell the truth. I don't lie about people in court. I've never done that. We might simplify it to that. We might say, I haven't desired Uh, wrongly what other people have. Specifically, the commandment says not to desire your neighbor's house. Covet your neighbor's house. That's pretty interesting. That could be still applicable today. Uh, Your neighbor's wife. I wish my wife was like her. She's really easy to get along with. Mine isn't. (laughs) Coveting. Coveting what other people have and wishing you had something else. This saying is biblical in that these commands 
reflect the holy nature of God and these commandments give a negative prohibition about what we should not do, but also there is a positive implication of what we should do. So as we look at the first one, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. In our catechism commentary with that was John Bradford. He was, I asked Teresa if she knew who she was, and he said, well, with thouest uh, doest this. That's about all she knew about John Bradford, is that in the commentary he spoke in old King James language. But John Bradford lived between 1510 and 1555. He was an English reformer and a martyr. He was burned at the stake uh, for for his faith. And we get to read how he would comment on these uh, questions and these answers. One of the reasons he was in jail with two other real prominent uh, Protestant Christians at the time. And so they studied the New Testament in jail, hardcore, like getting in there and just writing and talking and hashing out scripture together nothing else to do right and he says this thou shall not bear false witness against thy neighbor now dost thou most gracious lord instruct me in this commandment how i should use my tongue towards my neighbor yeah what he's doing he's after the tongue how do you use your tongue towards your neighbor and then and behave myself concerning his name how do i behave myself concerning who my neighbor is his name forbidding me to bear false witness in the which thou forbiddest me all kinds of slandering Lying, hypocrisy, and untruth. He's just breaking it down and he's digging into it that God forbids that. But then he says, so we should speak truth to one another and be careful, everyone, to cover others' infirmity. I love old, old King James English. Their infirmity, their, their weakness, their illness, their sickness. We work to overcome others' infirmities. This is what God is demanding. And with our tongue, defend the names of others. You see the positive implication of not lying about your neighbor, not bearing false witness? Is you also defend their name. Even as we would that others should defend ours. I would like for them to speak up when someone's talking bad about me and defend me. Do that. Love them like you would love yourself, like you would want yourself to be loved in those situations. Remember, this is written back in the 1500s, right? (laughs) This is John Bradford. So that in this commandment, as thou forbiddest me all kind of evil, perilous, one word I can't quite say, and untrue speaking, so dost thou command me all kind of godly, honest, and true report and talk. So it's not just you shall not bear false witness, but you shall speak the truth in love. I thought he did a great job of 
We could just, you know, like, yeah, thanks, John. Awesome, awesome man. In the Heidelberg Catechism, which I've been mentioning, it's a catechism written about that time in the 1500s, uh, there's a Lord's Day 43, and it's question 112. And it asks, what is God's will for you in the ninth commandment? And it's going to break it down a little bit deeper. Here's what God is requiring out of you in the ninth commandment. God's will is that I never give false testimony against anyone. That's the basic root of it. Do not lie. Do not give false testimony against anyone. That's who your neighbor is. It's not just the person that lives next door. If you didn't know that to you. It's anyone. Twist no one's words. People talk about politicians putting spin on things, but man, can I put spin on something in my favor? Just a little tweak here or there to make myself look a little better and them a little worse in the situation. Just all, all the time. We don't realize God's calling us out. Don't twist anyone's words. Don't gossip or slander, nor join in condemning anyone without a hearing or without a just cause. You know, that innocent until proven guilty kind of thing applies here. Not hearing both sides of the story, rushing to a judgment. Rather, in court and everywhere else, I should avoid lying and deceit of every kind. These are devices the devil himself uses, and they would call down on me God's intense anger. I should love the truth, speak it candidly and openly acknowledge it, and I should do what I can do to guard and advance my neighbor's good name. End of the answer for the ninth commandment and what it requires. And little kids would memorize these things. People say, oh, yeah, well, they just memorize them by rote. I memorized a lot of things as, as a kid that, you know, maybe I didn't fully understand now, but they rise up in my heart now. It's never a weak or wrong thing to memorize God's word and answers and questions and answers from God's word. They'll bear good fruit in the future. So these are good things to learn. These prohibitions are intense. They are about not giving false testimony. They're intense in Proverbs, in the book of wisdom in Proverbs 6. It says there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are abomination to him, and one of them is a lying tongue. Verse 19, a false witness who breathes out lies. So not just False testimony in a court situation, but twisting words, a lying tongue can be subtle of us just leaving out part of the story so the implication is left there with a half-truth. Just choosing what we leave in and out of a story can be lying and bearing false witness and creating a false image about our neighbor or about somebody. Maybe speaking about the bad things of who they are 
and not mentioning, yeah, but there is some good qualities too that I've seen in them. Just leaving those out. So we see that this commandment is exacting. It's the way the law is. It's God's holy nature, and God's holy nature is perfect. And his commandment is demanding those perfections. And if you like the Sermon on the Mount, at the end of it, when Jesus broke down the commandments and he went into the heart of the matter in Matthew 5, he ends that chapter 5 with, Be perfect, for your heavenly Father is perfect. And Jesus wasn't abolishing the law. He was bringing the full weight of what God, God's holy nature truly is and how far fallen we are from it. And yet in some people's hearts, it's including the Pharisees, was I'm keeping it. I'm doing good. And many people are in the same boat. We don't realize how much many times We are bringing ill repute on the holy nature of God by not keeping his holy commands. What does Ephesians 4, 29 tell us? We read out of Ephesians in the liturgy and verses before and after it. This this verse is in 29. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Wow, what if we did that? Man, how sweet would our conversations be? Giving grace to those who hear. What do your words do? Do they build up? Do they give grace in the season, in the moment, in the need. This is the nature of God. It is truth. The nature of the devil is lies. It is his nature. It is God's nature to tell the truth, and it is Satan's nature. He is the father of lies. This is in John 8, where Jesus says this. And as Christians... Let the Spirit of God in you be a true witness. Let Him speak, ponder, think, bridle your tongue, think about your words before you say them. Let your words give grace to those who hear your words. The next commandment is coveting. Coveting is probably one of the harder things to define in all the commandments. They're pretty clear, forward, don't do this, and the implication you should do this. But have you ever noticed what covet is? It's not like stealing, murdering, uh, you know, lying. You know, it seems like covet. What's that? In fact, when you look at other rules and commandments in other religions, they have things against murder and stealing and all kinds of things. But they don't have anything against coveting. Or I haven't been able to find any, and I've read other people that say, yeah, most other commandments, rules, don't have any 